So hello, Christ community. So glad that all of you are here. Man, I'm, I'm excited to be with you and to share what God has been placing on my own heart. Um, just a little uh, upcoming thing I wanted to mention. This Thursday, the UNC volleyball team, we love supporting UNC athletics and some of the volleyball team goes here and Lindsay, the coach Lindsay goes here. They have, they're having a faith night this Thursday, a faith night where Coach Lindsay and some players are going to be sharing their testimony. And they actually asked me to do like, not the first pitch, but to do the first serve. So pray for me that I don't pull a muscle. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's happening this Thursday at six o'clock at Butler Hancock. So we invite you to come and check that out and invite some people to come as well. So I don't know, of, I don't know if any of you can relate, but our lawn looks terrible this year. Uh, we, we have like, like these huge dead patches, and then we have these weeds. I feel like I'm, I'm constantly pulling up. It has been a mess, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that we canceled our lawn service, and I've been doing it on my own this year. It has nothing to do with that. But anyway, in trying to assess what's going on, I saw on Amazon um, these little plastic rain gauges that you put in various places in your lawn, and so then you can measure exactly how much water every place is getting when you're going through the sprinkler cycle. And so the other day, I went out late before I went to bed in my pajamas, whatever, and put these tin rain gauges, you know, in various brown places in our lawn. And the next morning I, I went out and looked in how much um, water we had in these areas. Man, that was totally eye-opening. There were places in our lawn that were eating like one-tenth of an inch of water. I mean, no wonder they look terrible, right? But now I at least have access to that information and to know what's going on. And, and so that experience got me thinking, if our spiritual life was like a lawn, if our spiritual life was like a lawn, how would we measure how we're doing? How would you and I gauge our spiritual health? If someone were to ask you, how's it going spiritually? How would you answer that question? What would you say? Would your answer be based on things like frequency of church attendance or, or length of your prayer times or, or how much of the Bible you know or how happy you've been lately or whatever? How does one go about measuring spiritual health? Well, we're in the midst of a teaching series in which we're walking through the book of John and we're examining the life of Jesus through the lens of this eyewitness, John. And, and John gives us a really clear answer to that question about spiritual health. There, there, is, there is a particular word that John uses 85 times in this book. And this word, from John's perspective, is the key to everything when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. This is the thing that determines our spiritual health. What is it? Belief. Belief. Over and over again in this book, John talks about the importance of belief. He is continually calling people to believe. In fact, John tells us in, in, in chapter 20, he tells us his purpose in writing this book. Check this out. He says his purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, <clears throat> the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So from, from Jesus' perspective and John's perspective, our spiritual health, the vibrancy of our spiritual lives is directly related to the content or the extent, I should say, the extent of our belief. Now, at some level, we all know this, right? I mean, we all know that faith or belief is really important when it comes to spiritual things. But where it gets a little bit cloudy is in how we define belief. How do we measure belief? Again, if we were to put a belief gauge in the, in the spiritual lawn of our lives, how would we even measure whether or not that gauge is full? What does belief actually look like 
from Jesus' perspective. Well, the day we find ourselves in a passage in which Jesus answers this question for us in a very beautiful and very powerful way. If you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. So in this, in this section of John 10, Jesus uses the word believe five different times in the midst of a debate with the religious leaders. He longs for them to believe. He is still urging them to believe. And it's clear that from Jesus' perspective, everything boils down to believing. I mean, that's the thing, again, that determines a person's spiritual health. But what's specifically helpful, but what's especially helpful in this particular passage is how Jesus describes what belief looks like. So let's jump in and explore what Jesus has to say about the nature of genuine belief. Verse 22, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. So the festival of dedication um, is, is um, what we refer to today, or people refer to today as Hanukkah. And it, rec- it occurs in, usually in December. And it's, it's a Jewish celebration of something that happened in 164 BC, where a group of Jewish rebels led by a guy named Judas Maccabees <clears throat> threw out the Greeks who had horribly desecrated the temple. And these Jewish rebels rededicated the temple to the Lord. Okay, so John tells us that during this celebration of the temple's rededication, Jesus was out walking in the temple courts. Now, let's not miss the irony here. And John, I think, wants us to see the connection. Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all that the temple represents, the very presence of God among his people, is walking in the temple courts during this particular festival. He is the very presence of God on earth, and yet the religious leaders still don't believe. Verse 24, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So these, these Jewish leaders are asking Jesus to tell them plainly whether or not he is the Messiah. And Jesus is like, dudes, I've been telling you over and over again. And not only that, I've been doing miracles. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and you still don't believe. What else do you want, right? <laughs> Well, what else do you need, right? Well, maybe what they need is a different picture of what belief actually looks like, which is exactly what Jesus gives them here, a very powerful description of what genuine belief looks like. Look again at verse 26. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. So Jesus is using the analogy of a sheep with its shepherd to describe spiritual health, to describe what genuine belief looks like. Now, last week, Pastor Nate did a great job exploring the first part of this chapter where Jesus focuses on what it means that he is a good shepherd, that he lays down his life for his sheep. But here, the focus is on what it means to actually be a sheep in the flock of Jesus. And what Jesus says here is that in order to be a sheep, in Jesus' flock, you must believe. Well, then Jesus gives a specific description in the next verse, verse 27, of what this belief looks like. So read this verse with me. John 10, verse 27. Read it out loud with me. 
My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, this is belief in action. This is how Jesus describes what believing in him looks like. It looks like an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, which was a completely different paradigm than the Jewish leaders were promoting and pursuing. For them, belief was all about commitment to the Torah, to the law. It was all about doing. It was all about obeying commands and rules and regulations. But for Jesus, genuine belief in him was not about regulations. It was about relationship. It was not simply about adhering to Moses' law. It was about being relationally attached to Jesus, the shepherd. For Jesus, genuine belief was all about an intimate, personal, connected relationship with him. That's what he's describing here. Look again at verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses the analogy of sheep. Sheep are not the brightest of creatures, right? They are fearful, they are stubborn, they tend to have a mob mentality going along with the crowd, they don't take very good care of themselves, they wander off. And I really, I can't imagine why Jesus uses sheep as an analogy for us. I don't know, I don't know. But anyway, but think about this. Sheep, dense, not very, you know, smart, whatever. What is a stubborn, fearful, sheep have to do in order to thrive and grow and be fed and be healthy. They just have to listen to the voice of their shepherd and then go wherever he tells them to go. That's it. All a sheep has to do in order to thrive and be healthy is to listen to the voice of the shepherd and follow that voice. A friend of mine told me how when he was traveling in Israel, he saw multiple shepherds leading their flocks, right? And then they would come together in like this very busy intersection. So you had this flock coming in this way and this shepherd coming this way. I mean, it was just like this mess, right? There were all these sheep and all these shepherds everywhere. And my friend was fascinated how these sheep didn't mistakenly get mixed up in a different flock, And so he's asking around, why did that happen? Well, it's because they knew their own shepherd's voice. Sure, there were other shepherds that were calling out and sheep were everywhere, lots of noise and all that. But in the midst of the noise, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the other voices, they were trained to pay attention to the voice of their shepherd. And as a result, they got through this busy intersection without any wandering or without any stress. See, from Jesus' perspective, genuine belief is rooted in an intimate relationship with him as our shepherd, where we learn how to listen to his voice. We pay attention to his whisper in the midst of all the other voices that we hear, and then we choose to follow him. It's a very personal, very intimate, relational experience with him. Again, look at, look at the, we, we see this in the past, this verse again, I wanna, we're just unpacking it here, but language Jesus uses, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. See, a good shepherd knows his sheep. 
He knows their weaknesses. He knows their fears. He knows their propensities. He knows their unique personality. He knows when they need a nap. He knows when they need water and when they need food. Jesus says here that as our good shepherd, he knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows our fears. He knows our personalities. He knows what we need. And because he knows us so well, He knows exactly how to lead us. See, this is what intimacy is, right? Intimacy, into me see. Jesus sees us. He knows us. And so he invites us to listen to his voice and to follow him. So what I want us to hear is genuine belief is relational. It is relational. It is all about cultivating and enjoying relational intimacy with Jesus. Now, in my own life, this has been a complete game changer. Seriously, this, this, what we're talking about has just been a complete game changer. So for the first several years of my Christian life, I believed in Jesus. I was a Christian, I believed in Jesus, and I was doing my best to follow him. But what I wasn't experiencing, as I look back on it now, what I wasn't really experiencing was intimacy with Jesus. This idea of letting myself be known by Jesus and welcoming him into my weaknesses. That was new, that was new to me. And so too was this idea of actually listening to his voice and quieting my heart and learning how to hear his whisper. I was so busy doing things for Jesus that I didn't often cultivate an intimacy with Jesus. Now there's this this powerful example of of this difference between what I, you know, those differences in my own life. Powerful example of this in the book of Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we're introduced to this woman named Martha who, who has a sister named Mary, and they, 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 they were friends of Jesus, and they welcomed Jesus into their home. And while Jesus was there in their home, Mary was just, she was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to everything he was saying which didn't go over well with Martha, right? Um, She was the host. She's, you know, have all these people in her home and all that. So here's what happened, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's getting very controlling here and manipulative, right? And very demanding. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. See, Martha was focused on doing things for Jesus, and she was all stressed and anxious and controlling and all of that. Mary was focused on relationship with Jesus, listening to his voice. And Jesus gently rebukes Martha for missing the point. Yes, yes, things needed to be done, but never at the expense of relationship. See, for Jesus, it was never doing, 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 and oh, then you'll have a relationship. It was always the other. It was all about relationship. And out of that relationship, the doing happens, right? 
See, for Jesus, genuine belief is all about this relationship with him, cultivating this relationship with him. It's not just believing the right information. It is about a relationship we're cultivating. So he invites us to cultivate this kind of relationship with him where we we press into his presence, we listen to his voice, and we joyfully choose to follow him. Again, that's what genuine belief looks like. It is personal. It is intimate. It's a relationship with Jesus that we can cultivate. And look, this was a huge aha moment for me in my own relationship with Jesus. It was when I realized that, that cultivating this relationship, that listening to his voice that is something that I actually can, I can cultivate that. Listening is a crucial relational skill in any, it's in, in any relationship. It is crucial in any relationship. And for years in my own life, I was not a good listener to anyone, really. Because listening, here's why, listening requires being focused on another person being totally focused on another person, giving our complete attention to them. And I was usually focused on my own agenda, what I wanted to say, what I wanted to accomplish and all of that. But when I realized that good listening, all it really requires at some level, it just requires attentiveness. When I begin to realize that, I realize this is something I can practice. This is something I can actually practice in my relationships, including my relationship with Jesus. And so I just began to create space to be attentive to his voice. Not not an audible voice, but rather like a whisper to my soul, a thought or a word or an idea or a scripture, a picture that would come to my mind. Previously, I would have ignored those things, right? I wasn't even attentive, and so I would have just ignored them. But now I was paying attention. I was paying more attention to that. So if you want more details about my own journey of kind of listening to God and to how to grow in this, I, I wrote a book a few years ago called More, um, and there are four chapters in that book that, about how to listen to his voice and what that looks like and all that. But really, this, 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 this aspect of relationship with Jesus, it completely changed Raylene and my spiritual lives. Um, I mean, cultivating this kind of intimacy with Jesus was like going from black and white to color for us. It was just added this whole dimension to our belief in Jesus and our relationship with him. I asked my wife, Raylene, um, just the other day, um, do you, I said, do you ever ask the Lord questions in your quiet time with him? You know, when you have time with the Lord, do you ever ask the Lord questions? And she looked at me with this puzzled expression and she said, I don't even know how to spend time alone with Jesus without asking him questions. I don't even know how to do that. Um, so, so Jesus invites us into an intimate relationship with him where we hear his voice, we know his heart, and we follow him. And when your deepest desire is to know your shepherd and to hear his voice, the following part just comes naturally. You want to follow because following leads to deeper intimacy. I, I was talking with a friend of mine just very recently, a couple weeks ago, very successful businessman. He has lots of amazing opportunities to grow his business and, and make money and all this stuff. He's an entrepreneur and really gifted at it. He shared with me how these things, these successes he's had recently and all that, these things aren't really bringing him satisfaction. Even though they're kind of amazing, they're just not, they're not really sati- bringing him satisfaction. And as he's kind of tuned into that, 
as he's tuned into that feeling of dissatisfaction, he feels like Jesus is inviting him to make some changes in his life and to actually say no to some of these opportunities in order to create more, have to create more space and energy to focus on some kingdom-oriented things. And so he, he feels like that's what's being stirred in his heart. But he also told me that he has some some uh, business entrepreneurs, some other business entrepreneurs in his life, friends of his, some of them even, some of them are Christians, who are telling him, you are crazy to say no to this opportunity. You can't stop now. You, you, would, you could make so much money. So whose voice, whose voice will he listen to? See, that, that's our reality. There are lots of voices trying to shape and influence us. But as Jesus reminds us, the life, of, the life of faith is a life in which we are intentionally spending time in his presence, listening to his voice, trusting his heart, and then choosing to follow him. He's our shepherd. We're choosing to follow him. Now, when we embrace this intimacy with Jesus' paradigm for genuine belief, when we embrace what, what what's Jesus is talking about here, this has a huge impact on how you experience the spiritual life. So look at, look at the next thing Jesus says, the next verse, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. See, notice how Jesus is still using the analogy of sheep, shepherd and sheep. He gives his sheep eternal life, which is a description of not only the duration of life, it's a description of the quality of life. To live in intimacy with Jesus fulfills this ultimate longing in our hearts to know him and be known by him. It, It brings life, eternal life we experience now. But not only that, Jesus says that no one will ever snatch his sheep from his hand. We are protected by our shepherd eternally. No one can snatch us from Jesus' hand. And the reason is, Jesus says, because he and the Father are one. See, there's an intimacy that they experience in their relationship. And the sheep, his sheep, become a part of that experience, of that intimacy. They become a part of that relational dynamic. So no one can snatch them because we we become a part of that relational dynamic, that unity, that communion of father and son. So Jesus is inviting us into this relational intimacy that he has with his father. And just think about this. Can you imagine the peace and the joy that would fill our hearts the more we rest in this truth, that, that our relationship with him is secure, that nothing can separate us from his love, nothing. Paul says in Romans 8 that nothing, not death, life, principalities, powers, nothing can separate us from the love love of Jesus. That's what Jesus offers us. An experience of our identity being rooted in what he has done for us as our good shepherd. That's the voice that he longs for us to hear, that we are his beloved, that he laid down his life for us on the cross. He loves us. He is a shepherd that knows us and wants to lead us into life. He is a shepherd that is committed to protecting us and not letting anything or anyone remove us from his love. I mean, this is amazing what Jesus is saying here. It's amazing what he's inviting us into. But sadly, the religious leaders, they, they will have none of it. This has got to be so frustrating for him. It's frustrating even to read. They just don't 
They just are uh, unwilling to embrace this, this idea, this paradigm. Okay, look again at the next verse, verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, they, they are so stuck in their religious paradigm that they can't imagine the intimate relationship with God that Jesus is describing. They can't even fathom that. They only see it as blasphemy, as blasphemy. So they pick up stones to kill Jesus, but even then, he isn't ready to give up on them. He continues to try and make his case. And this time, he does so using scripture of the Old Testament. So verse 34, excuse me, verse 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Okay, this is, this is fascinating here. Jesus is, is quoting from their law, the, 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 their Old Testament, um, in order to make his case. He, he quotes from Psalm um, 82 verse six, in which God says, here's the verse he quotes, you are gods, <clears throat> you are all sons of the most high. Now, if I could just take a minute and geek out on theologically for a sec, because this is fascinating to me, I think, um, and you might find it interesting as well, hopefully, um, because this passage, I think, is often misinterpreted. You look at most all the commentaries, and I think they're, they're missing this here, they're, what's really happening here. So most current scholars will say that the gods being spoken to in Psalm 82, 6 are earthly judges. So they are just human beings who are in the position of judge in Israel, and that's who he's talking to. But that's not what Psalm 82, 6 says. What the text says is that God is speaking to other Elohim. That's the Hebrew word for gods, the plural word for gods. See, in the Hebrew understanding, there is a big G God who is holy and creator and omnipotent, but this big G God, <clears throat> Yahweh, has created other little G gods who serve him on a divine council. We see this in Job chapter one. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse eight. In these passages, God actually has this divine council, this group of lesser gods. They're powerful spiritual beings. They're not big G God, but they're powerful spiritual beings and they're under his authority. And so this is why in the Psalm Jesus quotes, Psalm 82, we read in verse one, if you jump earlier, verse one, he says this, God presides in the great assembly. That's what he's talking about. He renders judgment among the gods. See, this is sort of mine, and notice the NIV puts quotes just because we're uncomfortable with this, but the Hebrew, you know, it's Elohim, it's God's. Okay, so this is sort of mind-blowing, but it's, it's scriptural. God has a divine council of Elohim. They are not big G gods, there's only one of those, but little g gods, and they serve him. But in Psalm 82, they're not serving him very well. He's, 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 he's rebuking them, okay, because of what they're doing. So if you're interested, thanks for letting me geek out for just a little bit. If you're interested in pursuing this further, exploring it further, just do a Google search on divine counsel and, uh, and, and dive in because it's fascinating. So what Jesus is saying in quoting Psalm 82 is simply that, look, if this passage that the Jewish leaders were familiar with, very passive. In this passage, God refers to other gods. 
then what's the big deal about Jesus claiming to be God? That's the argument he's making, I believe. Okay, well then Jesus makes his final appeal. Verse 37, do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the work. So Jesus is almost pleading with them to open their eyes, to see the works that he has done and to believe in him. He longs for them to believe. Now, now look at what he says next in terms of his final, this is motivational reason, final motivational reason to believe. Verse 38, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. That this phrase, know and understand, it speaks, again, we're back full circle, it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of relational knowledge. Jesus is urging them to believe so that they might enter into and experience this union that he has with the Father. This is what Jesus is repeatedly inviting us into in this passage. And it's, we're gonna look at it again in John 15, in, in, in a few weeks when we look at John 15, he's talking about the same invitation of us abiding and being one with him, John 17. This is what he's inviting us into. It's what he's inviting the religious leaders into. This is what genuine belief looks like. This is what spiritual health looks like. It looks like a life of continual union with him, a life of intimacy with him as our shepherd, where we hear his voice, we know his heart, and we follow him. Is that the life you and I are pursuing? A, a belief in Jesus that moves us to press in to deeper levels of intimacy with him. That, that's what he longs for with you and, and with me. That's what he longed for, for the religious leaders to understand and embrace, but they refused. They clung so tightly to, to, to a religious paradigm of performance that they missed, they missed the most incredible transformative opportunity that any human being could have. An intimate, personal, connected love relationship with God, our shepherd. Genuine belief is an invitation into intimacy with Jesus. All right, let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for your word. And Jesus, thank you for this description of belief, believing. So what is Jesus stirring in your heart from this passage? Where is he drawing you into a deeper experience of intimacy with him? What would it look like for you to create space in your life? to listen, to tune into his voice, to welcome him into your places of weakness and shame because he knows you. <laughs> you don't have to hide anything from him. He knows you. And what would it look like for you to say yes, just to follow him? Jesus, thank you for being such an amazing shepherd who knows us and loves us and longs to speak to us and lead us. God, we long for that as well. 
God, thank you for the analogy of sheep that really connects with us because we, we, we don't hear very well, we don't follow very well a lot of times, and we just need this reminder that you're a good shepherd and that you know us and that we can learn how to hear your voice and follow you. And so I pray you would help us grow in that kind of belief. It's not just about knowing information about you, it's about pursuing you and experiencing intimacy with you. We love you, God. We love you, Lord. And God, as we continue in worship, we want, we want to experience you in this way. God, just draw us into this deepening relationship with you. We long for that, God. So set us free to worship you, whether we're standing, sitting, kneeling, God. We're, we're just quieting our heart, listening, whatever that looks like right now, God. We welcome you into this place. Thank you for being such an amazing shepherd, God. We love you.